Blog Talk Radio. from start to finish. This is Nicole, your Book of Revelation research scientist. It is Sunday, December 31st of 2023. It's the last day of the year. I want to wish you a happy new year, a wonderful 2024. Let's end the year on a very high note, the highest note in the Holy Bible, which is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word The Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's what it tells us in John, the peak of the Bible is its pinnacle work, which is the book of Revelation. It is the book that includes documentaries that were shown to John the Revelator when he was supernaturally called up to and transported to present heaven when he was in his mortal body on this earth. So I'm not saying that he went with his body, his present body, to present heaven. I'm saying When he lived in his mortal body, the same type of body that you and I dwell in today, this corruptible body, version one of our body, this tent that we will eventually uh, turn in uh, when we transition to our glorified, perfected, immortal bodies. When he was in that mortal body, he was called up to heaven. How did it all begin? Six parts to the book of Revelation. It all began when God the Father gave the revelation to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gave an instruction to an angel to share the revelation with his servant John. So that's part one of the book of Revelation, verses 1 to 8 of chapter 1. It's the preface to the book. We find out uh, that that's the... uh, the origin of the book of Revelation, and that's the chain of command with respect to how the information was disseminated. Then John tells us he has a two-part experience. He has a two-part experience, uh, 100% supernatural interactions with Jesus Christ. In one part of his experience, Jesus Christ comes to visit him on this present earth, in the second part of his experience, he goes to present heaven to get the information that Jesus has instructed the angel of the Lord to show him. So those two parts of John's supernatural experience uh, are very exciting. Part two of the book of Revelation is the formal introduction. 
the rest of chapter 1, verse 9 to the end of chapter 1, John tells us he's on the island of Patmos. He had been exiled because he was preaching the word of God and giving testimony about Jesus Christ. And uh, as he was there in exile, Jesus comes to visit him. And Jesus gives him an instruction, tells him to do two things, to write down the things which are currently happening and, second thing, to write down the things that are to come. In part three of the book of Revelation, the seven letters to the seven churches, John begins to follow up on that instruction. Part one of the instruction, again, that Jesus gave him was to write down the things that are currently happening. Part three of the book of Revelation are the things that were currently happening. Why do I say were? We're about 2,000 years later. But at the time, the things that are happening for John were things that have already happened to us. So what were the things that were happening at that time? The things going on with the seven churches on the present earth. So there were seven churches. They included uh, Sardis, Laodicea, uh, Philadelphia, Ephesus, and three others, Jesus had three things for these churches. He had words of praise. That's one thing. Second thing is he had words of criticism. And the third thing is he had promises, promises for all who were victorious, all who would finish their race in Christ. So that's what was happening. Jesus had things to say about what was happening right then at that time on this present earth to those churches, and that's chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, seven letters to the seven churches. Fourth part of the book of Revelation, and today we're going to focus on the new earth prophecy, just giving a quick overview so we know where we are in the book of Revelation. Part four of the book of Revelation is uh, John's report on heaven. John's report on heaven. I'll describe it this way. If you got on a plane and let's say let's say you want a trip, you want a trip on the prices right and now you're taking your trip to an exotic location. Let's say that you're going to Zurich and you get to Zurich you get off the plane and you see what? You see Zurich. Now, you don't see Zurich in its entirety. You see the specific location in Zurich where you are. At that point, you're in the airport, so perhaps you begin to describe what's in the airport as you're leaving the airport. Then you describe what you see as you're taking the taxi from the airport to your local hotel. Why do I bring that up? Chapter 4 of the book of Revelation is part 4. That's easy to remember. Chapter 4 of the book of Revelation is part 4, and it's only 
John's report on heaven. Now, that's not a small thing. It's 11 verses, kind of a short chapter, very interesting. It does not have in it any metaphors. It doesn't have any prophecies. It doesn't have any symbolism. It's a literal report as if John were an investigative journalist or a police officer or uh, a reporter. He documents for our benefit, truth seekers, readers of the book of Revelation, truth seekers, he documents for us what he actually saw when he was called up to heaven. If you're interested in that, and I'm very interested in that, I like to watch uh, I like to watch these videos on uh, YouTube and Rumble where folks are talking about uh, they had a near-death experience and what they saw in hell or heaven. Sometimes uh, they report that they uh, went both places. You know, I don't know whether these folks are telling the truth or not. Some of them appear to be telling the truth and have very compelling uh, testimonies. However, for sure, 100%, we know that the Bible is the infallible word of God. So when John tells us what he saw in heaven, that's what he actually saw. We know that he went to heaven. He begins chapter 4 telling us that he heard a voice. Whose voice was it? It was the voice of Jesus Christ. And it said, come up here. And then he sees an open door in heaven, and then he supernaturally transported to heaven. He tells us what he sees. He sees God the Father sitting on the throne. He describes that. He describes uh, what God the Father looks like, but not in, in, a, in a way that is very easy to grasp, but talks about um, shining like jewels. And then he reports that, in addition, there were 24 individuals surrounding this main throne. He refers to them as elders. He talks about them, and then he reports on that there are four living creatures, very interesting creatures. They have wings, and in the wings are eyes. And He talks about their activity and how they're singing and worshiping the Lord. Um, so exciting and interesting stuff. John's report on heaven, 100% literal, no prophecies, no metaphors, uh, or anything like that. Now, let us get to what we're going to focus on today, uh, which is part five of the book of Revelation. That's the part that includes the visions that the angel of the Lord was tasked with showing John the revelator. Now, we know uh, from the Bible that God speaks to people in visions and dreams. He did that uh, in the past. He's doing that in the present. He's going to do it in the future. Now, remember, in part one of the book of Revelation, Jesus tasks an angel of the Lord with showing John the Revelator the revelation. Now, what's the revelation? It's the unveiling of Jesus Christ to the entire world. When he came the first time, he came as the Lamb of God. When he comes the second time, he's coming as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And the truth of who he is will be revealed, unveiled to every person in the entire world. There will be no debate about 
the reality that Jesus Christ is King of all kings and Lord of all lords. And so this revelation that Jesus tasked an angel of the Lord with showing John the Revelator specifically were visions. So these visions were external to John. So in other words, John didn't have a vision within himself. He didn't go to sleep and have a night vision uh, or, or dream. He he wasn't. It wasn't nighttime, and he started to uh, see something that he caused himself to see. And he didn't have a daydream. Okay, so he did not have a dream or a vision that he caused himself to have. These visions were external. In other words, they were outside of John, and in fact, they were created by God the Father, and the angel of the Lord was tasked with showing John the things to come. So we learn that in the first eight verses of chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, and then Jesus says in the second half of chapter 1, hey, I want you to write down the things that are happening and the things to come. So finally, in part five of the book of Revelation, we get to the things to come, the future events, the events leading up to, immediately leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ, and in some cases, events following the second coming of Jesus Christ. So that's what the angel of the Lord was tasked with showing John the Revelator, and John was tasked with writing these things down, and uh, the angel followed his assignment, uh, succeeded at his assignment, followed the instruction of Jesus Christ. John succeeded at his assignment and followed the instructions of Jesus Christ. And so we have that information, the visions, in other words, these visions were Moving pictures with sound, in today's vernacular, we could refer to them, uh, we would refer to them as movies. Uh, but these weren't any kind of movie. You know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a rom-com or a sci-fi flick or an action movie. These visions that the angel of the Lord showed John the Revelator in heaven were documentaries, if you will. You might say, um, research scientists, what do you mean? How, what, how are these documentaries? These were moving pictures with sound, and these pictures were future events, realities that will happen. Consider, consider that time is a construct that exists within God. So there was eternity past, that's before the beginning of time, and then there's time, and we're midstream in time right now, and then there's the end of time, and then there's after the end of time. All of that exists within God. Time exists within God. So why is that relevant? God knows the end from the beginning. And so in that way, he was able to generate 
he was able to generate documentaries about our future because he has already been to our future. He has already seen it, been there, experienced it. He's an omniscient and all-knowing God. So he created these documentaries, and the angel of the Lord was tasked by Jesus Christ with showing them to John the Revelator by my analysis. In other words, as I have prayerfully reviewed, read, studied the book of Revelation, I believe that the Lord has shown me that there are 12 visions that the angel showed John the Revelator, and he showed them to him back to back to back to back to back. I think if you've listened to the broadcast before, you've heard me say, um, when War for the Planet of the Apes was released, and by the way, I'm a huge uh, Planet of the Apes fan, when that was released, that was the end of a fantastic and amazing trilogy. And um, at the local theater, they were showing all three of these in a row. So I went to see... Uh, all three of these in a row, and they showed them back to back to back. Now, I went to a a theater here on present earth. John the Revelator was in some location in present heaven where he had a similar experience. His experience is documented beginning with verse 1 of chapter 5, And it ends with verse 5 of chapter 22. It's the bulk of the book of Revelation. So mostly what we see, mostly what we have in the book of Revelation is John's written report of the documentaries that he was shown in heaven. These are what we refer to as the prophecies in the book of Revelation. Why are they prophecies? They are predictions about the future, but they're not predictions like those that we generate as scientists, right? So as scientists, we use theories, we use data to generate predictions. Uh, These are uh, prophecies. These are facts. And they're facts because this information comes from our God, the creator of the universe, the creator of the heavens and this present earth as well as the new earth to come. So John the Revelator was shown first the Seven Seals documentary. Then he was shown, and that uh, begins with chapter 5. It ends with verse 1 of chapter 8. Then he was shown the Seven Trumpets documentary. That picks right up verse 2 of chapter 8, ends with chapter 11. Then he was shown the 1,260 days documentary. That's chapter 12. Then he was shown in chapter 13 the 666 Antichrist documentary. You could also refer to it as the 666 Antichrist prophecy. In chapter 14, verses 1 to 5, he was shown the 144,000 first fruits documentary. Then he was shown... Uh, verses 6 to the end of chapter 14, the earth reaped prophecy all about the marriage, the first resurrection. Then in chapters 15 and 16, he was shown the seven plagues documentary. 
Then chapters 17 and 18, in the first five verses of chapter 19, he was shown the purple and scarlet documentary. He was shown the marriage supper documentary. Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 to 21. Then he was shown the Millennial Reign documentary, Revelation 20, verses 1 to 10. Then he was shown the Dead Judge documentary, Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. Now we're getting to what our focus is today. Finally, the peak of all the prophecies, the peak of all the documentaries, if you will, that John the Revelator was shown by the angel of the Lord uh, at the request or at the direction, I should say, of Jesus Christ. The peak of these documentaries is the one we're going to hear in just one minute. That's the New Earth documentary. So by the time the angel of the Lord gets to the Millennial Reign documentary, that's documentary number 10, Jesus Christ has already fought and won the Battle of Armageddon. And so John is shown what happens during the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ on his present earth. Then he's shown uh, what happens right before the end of the world. The end of the world. So uh, in First Peter it says the end of the world is coming, and it's documented. It's documented in the dead judged prophecy, documentary number 11. Uh, and then we get to documentary number 12, the New Earth documentary. That's what we're going to hear in about 30 seconds. So what happens after the end of time? So you say, well, what do you mean after the end of time? Once, once this present earth, wears out completely, and the Bible tells us it's going to wear out. Now, that doesn't mean that we stop recycling, right, or we stop trying to clean the oceans or, you know, doing these other things that are uh, reflect our, steward, our, our good stewardship of the earth. Uh, but we understand we're not going to save this planet. We are not going to save this planet. This planet is going to wear out this present earth. The Bible says it. And we are told that we are transitioning to a new earth. Now, who is we? We are the good fish who are kept. The bad fish are thrown out. We are the sheep who hear God's voice and another voice we won't follow. We are not the goats. We are those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life and all of our sins have been blotted out of our books in heaven. We are not those whose name are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We are those who are Team Jesus. We have allowed Jesus Christ to be Lord of our life. We uh, have accepted his offer to be our mediator. We are made in right standing with God the Father. We are restored to sonship and daughtership through the death of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for us though he had never sinned. And so in that way, 
his death can be substituted for the death that we deserve, and therefore we are able to inherit eternal life. So for all who are team Jesus, we are transitioning to a new earth. Let's hear about what is the reality that you and I will experience after the end of time. Here it is, the New Earth documentary, as reported by John the Revelator in Revelation chapter 21, as well as verses 1 to 5 of 22. Here's what he says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Let's pause there for a second. So we begin with hearing about the beginning of eternity future. So we're beyond time. Time has ended. We're in eternity future. And it begins with a new earth. The old earth had disappeared. So consider the fact that your old body will have disappeared because you have transitioned to a new body that's not under the curse. When Jesus Christ returns, he brings back with him those saints who were in heaven in their heavenly body and their new body rises up from the earth, and they put on that incorruptible body, 100% free of any DNA errors. Those of us who are here at the time of his second coming, we will transition in a blink of an eye from our corruptible bodies to our incorruptible bodies, also having a body 100% free of DNA errors a body that's no longer under the curse. This earth is under the curse. But the new earth, the new earth will be perfect. The old earth will go through a holy fire, and it will not make it because it's under the curse. And so we're told the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And then it says, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. This is not a metaphor. This is literal. God the Father and Jesus Christ are going to live on the new earth, both of them. So great is the mystery of the Godhead. That's what it says in uh, Timothy. Great is the mystery of the Godhead. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. So God has a form as the Father, and he has another form as Jesus Christ. And both will dwell on the new earth in a physical location. Now, you may have heard me say before that I was born in Washington, D.C., which is the capital of the United States of America is the nation's capital, uh, headquarters, if you will, for USA. When Jesus returns, headquarters for the world will be Jerusalem. And so it makes sense 
that God the Father and Jesus Christ will live uh, in the capital, if you will, of the universe, capital of the, this present earth and the universe, uh, it will be Jerusalem. Uh, but it will not be present Jerusalem. It will be a new Jerusalem. It will be a gorgeous Jerusalem. We're going to hear about what this new city looks like. Um, years ago, I lived in New York City, and I mentioned this briefly to say uh, this. New York is a great city. I haven't been to uh, Jerusalem. I would love to go there. I haven't been there yet. Let's use New York for example. New York's a great city. Uh, however, it it could be more beautiful. For example, it it could smell better. <laughs> it could be free of the rodent infestation, you know, that they struggle with, like many cities struggle with it. So I'm not picking on New York. Um, but imagine. If you were going to live in New York and you were God, you might recreate it in a way so that it's even better than what it already is. You know, uh, I have some ideas about that. They're, they're not that important. What's important here is this. Jerusalem is no doubt a great city, but the new Jerusalem is going to be even better, even more fantastic. God has built the city that he is going to live in when he lives on this present earth. So in verse 2 when it says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, that is a fact. It's not a metaphor. It says, like a bride, beautifully dressed. In other words, uh, a groom is super excited about his bride. And a bride has adorned herself in a beautiful dress. And so God is getting, he's getting this wonderful new city that is beautiful. And it's like a bride because this is the city he's going to live in forever on the new earth. So he's very excited about it. Okay, let's continue. Verse 3 says, John the Revelator talking again to you and I, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. That's verses 3 to 7 of chapter 21. In a nutshell, what did we just hear? 
we heard confirmation that the new Jerusalem that's going to descend from heaven is the home of God on the new earth to come. And we're told that he will live with his people, who are his people, all whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, all of us who are members of the royal race. So right now God lives in present heaven. God the Father, Jesus Christ, is also living in present heaven. And you and I, we are separated from uh, the physical presence of God in that way. Now, the Holy Spirit indwells on uh, all of us. So the Holy Spirit is within every person who is uh, saved, every person who has found and followed God's plan for salvation. But we are separated from the physical presence of God, the Father and Jesus Christ, but on the new earth we will not be. It says he will live with them and they will be his people. Now, remember, we will already be living with Jesus Christ during the millennial reign. That's a thousand years. But God the Father will be in present heaven until Jesus Christ destroys all five of God's enemies. After all five of God's enemies are destroyed, then we go to the new earth. So here we are. Uh, on the new earth, and God the Father will be with us. And what else? On the new earth, we we won't have any more death. Now think about that. Your beautiful, cultivated rose garden will never, ever die. Your wonderful pet, maybe you have a beautiful cat, or you have a fantastic dog or an amazing horse, or you have the the greatest parakeet, your pet will live with you forever and ever on the new earth. Uh, Your sisters, mothers, fathers, uh, all, everything, every plant, every animal, every human being, as members of the royal race, everything that dwells on the new earth has eternal life. There will be no more death. Now think about this. Death is an enemy. Death is the fifth and final enemy. We see it being destroyed in documentary number 11, the dead judged prophecy. So on the new earth, there will never, ever be any more death. And in fact, it says about death and also pain. Have you thought about pain? You know, there's physical pain and there's emotional pain. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get tired of emotional pain. I I look forward to the day that there's no more emotional pain. Now, there's the pain that sometimes we cause ourselves to have, but then there's the pain of uh, seeing the evil that exists in the world. There's the pain and the frustration of... uh, The fact that Satan is the the prince of the world, and he has many agents who are exacting his agenda. But on the new earth, on the new earth, after Satan has been destroyed, after all of Satan's children have been destroyed, after death has been destroyed, there will be, it says, 
no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. And not only that, it says all these things are gone forever. So if you've ever wished for a time where there was total peace and no more war, no more murder, no more corruption, that day is coming. That day is coming, and all whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will live to see it. Now let's continue. Uh, now note that note that God the Father says in verse 5, it says, And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he also says, What I tell you is trustworthy and true. In other words, everything that we hear in this new earth prophecy, in the Bible in its entirety, but specifically we're focusing on the new earth documentary, everything is 100% true. You might say, it's too good to be true. It's not. It's not. I have not seen nor ear heard all the good things that God has planned uh, for those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. Hallelujah. So, All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, it says in verse 7. What does it mean to be victorious? It means to be in Christ, to die in Christ for those who uh, have a mortal body that gives out before the second coming and to be in Christ at the time of the second coming for those of us who are here at the time of Jesus' return. So that's what it means to be victorious. Now, listen, you might say, well, I've been the best mom ever or i've been the best wife or i'm the best daughter or i'm the best husband or the best father that's not what it means to be victorious to be victorious means that one made the decision to find and follow god's plan for salvation one decided to defect from team satan and to uh connect and be recruited successfully for team jesus So to be victorious is to have one's name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. In other words, to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Uh, It begins with repenting of one's sins. And, And then thanking Jesus for dying on the cross, making Jesus Lord of your life, being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of one's sins, and then allowing God to uh, give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you'll receive that free gift so you can have 24-hour access to the counsel of the Holy Spirit, uh, the best and wisest counselor. So what's my take-home point? It says all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. Listen, you need to make sure that you're victorious. You need to make sure that you are on Team Jesus and not Team Satan. Now, you might say, I know I'm not on Team Satan. You need to make sure. You need to make sure because we were all born on Team Satan. So the only way to get off of Team Satan is to follow God's plan for salvation. So... To be victorious has nothing at all to do with being a good person. It, it has nothing at all to do with how much money uh, you, you make every year or you made, you know, in your heyday. It has nothing to do with uh, 
anything that can be done in, in terms of works. You don't work your way into being victorious. You uh, you make the decision to allow Jesus Christ to be your mediator. You understand that you've done some things wrong. You don't you don't compare yourself to Hitler and then declare that you're victorious because Hitler killed six million people and you've killed none. So what? So what? Whether you have one sin or six million sins, one sin is sufficient, sufficient for uh, God to have a case against me or a case against you or both. We have to have that sin debt paid for. Only the precious blood of Jesus Christ uh, is sufficient to pay for it. You can't do you can't do twenty eight good deeds and say that cancels out my. Uh, the three sins I committed in life, or, you know, I gave, I've given uh, 2,500 times in life. I made 2,500 large donations, and I'm sure my sins are, are less than 2,500. Listen, don't start doing Satan's mathematics. Don't start doing Satan's mathematics. One sin debt. is the equivalent of seven sin debts, 1,700 sin debts, 17 million in the sense that any number greater than zero, any number greater than zero disqualifies one from entry onto the new earth. It means that that person's name will not be recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life, any number greater than zero. Now, we got to go with God's mathematics. Any number greater than zero, that's one. That's two. That's two million. You might say, well, I don't agree with it. Well, that's the same thing as saying, I don't agree with the earth being round. I think it should be in a star shape. Or I don't agree with the sky being blue. My favorite color is orange. I think the sky should be orange. Friends, let's not think foolish thoughts. Let's think God's thoughts. Let's think what the Bible says. The Bible is the truth. It's the infallible word of God. Now, you have an out. Victory is within your reach. You can win the Super Bowl of life. How do you do that? You can defect from Team Satan and be recruited onto Team Jesus. That's the winning team, all of us who are on Team Jesus. This is what we get, the new earth. Now, verse 8 of chapter 21 says, But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now, this is just a reference to the fact that these are folks who never made it to the new earth. Now, we already know that from documentary number 11. We already heard about how all these folks, 
that they go into the lake of fire. That's the second death. That's already been reported in the documentary number 11. But this is just a small reference, just in case people are looking at this and thinking, oh, yeah, this is what I'm going to get. Are you sure? Are you sure your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life? If you're practicing astrology, if you're talking about your sun sign and your moon sign, if you're going to see the, the psychic, if, if you're doing ancestor worship, if you're praying to dead people, if you are a murderer, if you're an unbeliever, you might say, well, I'm not sure whether there's a God or not. I'm agnostic. If you are an unbeliever, you are not going to the new earth. You're going to the second death. What's the second death? Gehenna. That's dwelling in the fiery lake that burns with sulfur forever and ever. You might say, I don't agree with it. doesn't matter. You might say, uh, it's just like this. If I said, I don't agree with me being born in Washington, D.C., I think I should have been born in uh, – I should have been born in Malibu, California, because I like warm weather and D.C.'s cold in the winter. I didn't decide that. I didn't decide that. That just sounds nuts. So if a person says, I don't agree that an unbeliever should go to the lake of fire, my response is, that sounds nuts. No human being has within his or her authority the ability to decide, to decide the fate, the fate of humanity. The creator decides the fate of his creations. You and I are his creations. He has decided that all unbelievers, that their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Now, don't get mad at me when I'm reading the word of God. If you are a truth seeker, if you are a truth seeker, receive the truth. Now, sometimes people are an unbeliever because they have not yet heard the truth or found the truth. The truth is, again, Cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now, you might say, well, I know some Christians, and I'm sure that some of them have told lies. Or there are many Christians who have committed murderers, uh, murders, uh, such as Paul. Note that when a person makes Jesus Christ Lord of his or her life and follows God's plan for salvation, we're told in First Timothy that mediation occurs. So in other words, the sins of the individual, they are recorded as debts, and those debts are paid for by Jesus Christ. The blood, And so this is not saying that a person has to be a person who has never committed any sins. This is saying those who have committed sins and yet their sin debt is not paid for, those individuals don't make it. So 
be clear on that. There's no human being other than Jesus Christ who never, ever sinned. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we need a Savior, Jesus Christ, because we've all sinned and fallen short. Now let's continue. Verse 9, then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, come with me, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. So we're out of the movie trailer, now we're back uh, to the beginning of the movie, these these documentaries have two parts, the movie trailer and the movie. I've shared that in earlier discussions, but right now we're at the beginning of the movie in its entirety, and it starts with verse 10. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. This is literal. We already heard that in the movie trailer. Verse 11, it shone with the glory of God. What's it? This is the actual city. This is the actual city. So think of your favorite city. Maybe your favorite city is L.A. Maybe it's Mexico. Maybe it's um, Tokyo. Maybe it's Hong Kong. Maybe it's Lagos. Maybe it's Johannesburg. Uh, Maybe it's Silver Spring. I don't know. Think of your favorite city and that city being made uh, bigger, better, more beautiful. Bigger, more beautiful, uh, better, more amazing. So this is what has happened. So this city is Jerusalem. To distinguish it from the Jerusalem we have today, it's called the New Jerusalem. The Jerusalem that we have today, you could think of it as the Old Jerusalem. So verse 11 says, It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper as clear as crystal. The city wall was broad and high, with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels. Now, We've been talking in the USA a lot about uh, a wall. Here it says that the city wall was broad and high. God's city will be a gated community. I shared that, I think, last week. Now, uh, why does he choose to have walls around it? I don't know, because there's no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more crying on the new earth. But... There's a wall. It says the city wall was broad and high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels. So not only is the New Jerusalem a city enclosed by a wall, but it has 12 gates and their security. So these are manned gates, manned by uh, what? Angels, 12 angels. So each gate is guarded by an angel. Then it says, and the names of the 12 tribes of Israel Israel were written on the gates. God is commemorating the work, the, the reality of the reality of the beginning and the end of time with respect to him getting his forever family. It began with Abraham. 
continued with Isaac and then Jacob and then the 12 tribes of Israel and their names. The names of the 12 tribes are written on the gates. Isn't that awesome? He has not forgotten. Hallelujah. Verse 13 says, there were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So God remembers again. The 12 apostles each has his name written on a foundation stone. Uh, And these are the foundation stones for uh, the walls of the city. Then verse 15 says, The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. Now think about this. I've heard folks say, oh, um, the New Jerusalem, it's a metaphor because it's saying this or that. It's not a metaphor. It's not a metaphor. God goes to great lengths to ensure that those with an ear to hear, will understand the reality of his excitement and enthusiasm about where he's going to live. If you were going to get you a new house, a new condo, um, maybe you're going to buy a new car, something that you were going to spend a lot of time at, you'd be really excited. God is really excited about where he's going to live with his forever family, and so he's created this documentary to document this wonderful city that he has created for himself and his children. Now, let's hear some more details. The angel who talked to me, verse 15 of chapter 21, the angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. When he measured it, he found it was a square, as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles long. So the city is 1,400 miles wide, it's 1,400 miles long, and it's 1,400 miles high. Years ago, there was a movie, uh, I think it's called The Fifth Element, And interestingly, in this city, it was, I remember it was high. They had, like, flying devices, almost like the Jetsons. You know, today, if we go to certain cities, they're skyscrapers, but you've got to get in an elevator in it. Most people, most of us don't have, like, um, a personal helicopter or a a device that we can put on to just kind of rise up. And so mostly we are dwelling um, on one level. (laughs) Mostly we're dwelling uh, on on a main level until we get in a building. Maybe we're on the second or third floor. Perhaps um, we go into a skyscraper now and then. Maybe if you live in New York or L.A., you're in skyscrapers a lot, or Chicago um, or Beijing. But, um, you know, we don't spend a lot of our time, for example, at 500 feet in the air, but in on the new earth, we'll be in our glorified bodies. We have the ability to fly. Remember, the first thing we're going to do in our glorified bodies is rise up to meet Jesus Christ in the air. So we will not be limited 
to mostly uh, to, to simply walking. <laughs> we can just fly up to level 10, level 50, level 300. We, we can just simply fly up using our glorified bodies. And so when it says that the city is 1,400 miles high, it makes sense. It makes sense because we'll be in our glorified bodies and we won't be limited in that way. Then, more about that, verse 17. Then he measured the walls, talking about the walls of this city, uh, the New Jerusalem, and found them to be 216 feet thick according to the human standard used by the angel. That's a really thick wall. That's a really thick wall. I'm curious about how thick the Great Wall of China is. Let's see if we can um, find that out. So the Great Wall of China is 25 feet thick, according to uh, one website that I am looking at. It says on average, uh, well, I'm seeing something else say on average four to five, meter, four to five meters, 1.3 to 1.6 feet thick. The wall itself on the top usually measures 1.3 to 1.6 feet thick, okay? Then on the China Discovery website, it says its walls are 46 feet high and 23 feet thick. Okay, so let's go with 23 feet, 25 feet. Um, that is the Great Wall of China, so we're talking about the Great Wall, if you will, of the New Jerusalem. It's going to be about 10 times that, 216 feet thick. Wow. Okay, let's continue. More about the wall. Verse 18, it says, The wall was made of jasper, and the city was pure gold as clear as glass. Uh, pure gold is transparent. Pure gold is transparent, and so when John the Revelator tells us that he sees the city and that it's as clear as glass, that's because pure gold, 24-karat gold, uh, is transparent. And um, in addition to the city being pure gold, it says the wall was made of jasper. So jasper is a precious stone. Um, this is amazing. God has created something fantastic and wonderful where i live the um the city is not made of pure gold <laughs> it's made of asphalt and tar and concrete it's a nice city i think you know there are many nice cities uh in 2023 but certainly there's no city in the world today as awesome as the New Jerusalem, this wonderful uh, capital of the universe, headquarters for the universe, capital of the world uh, to come. This is amazing. Verse 19 says, the wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. So we already know that the foundation stones have the names of the 12 apostles. Now we just learned that the foundation stones uh have precious stones in them too, and it tells us what they are. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, 
the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl, and the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. So we're told that the city was uh, pure gold and that the main street is pure gold. We're given the, the how many gates there are, how thick uh, that the gates are on the north, south, east, and west side, three on each side. And we're told the gates are made of uh, pearl. We're told about the walls and how they're inlaid the, with how the wall has the foundation stones inlaid with precious stones. And uh, lots of details here, lots of details. Okay, now we're going to hear verses 22 to 27. These are details about what is actually happening in the city. Verse 22 says, I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Now, we're looking forward to the rebuilding of the third temple. This is to signify that God the Father is going to dwell in Jerusalem forever and ever, that that's his home. Why have there been more wars fought over Jerusalem than any other city or town in the entire world? Because Satan, who's the prince of of the earth at this time satan wants what god has said that he will have so god says i'm going to put my name on the forehead of my people satan says oh you are well that's what i'm going to do i'm going to have the mark of the beast and god says i'm going to live in jerusalem satan says no no, no. i'm going to live in jerusalem god says uh, my children will call me father. Satan says, no, my children will call me father. Oh, I just revealed a secret there. Satan says, my children will call me father. Now let's go back to what we're talking about. Let's go back to what we're talking about, which is uh, this temple. On the new earth, we're not going to have this third temple. So in chronological time, we are awaiting Israel getting the green light to rebuild its third temple. We have uh, the red heifer. Uh, recently, Prophet Randy Chandler shared that we may even have the ashes of the red heifer. I, I, I didn't hear whether that's been confirmed or not, but certainly four of the five red heifers uh, have survived that time period. We have Netanyahu. Uh, he appears to be poised to oversee the rebuilding of the third temple. Uh, reports are that there's enthusiasm on his part to do that. He has uh, those that he needs in the Knesset on his side. So these things are, are coming to pass. Now, what about on the new earth? The third temple is a place marker for folks to worship God and to symbolize that Jerusalem is the headquarters for God the Father and Jesus Christ. But once God the Father is here on this present earth, we don't need a physical building because the physical building is just a reminder that that's where he's going to be. So it says 
in verse 22, I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Okay, verse 23. And the city, again, talking about Jerusalem, has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. So both God the Father and Jesus Christ have light within them and the glory of God illuminates Jerusalem and uh, the lamb, Jesus Christ, is the light. So like a sun or a moon that gives off light that illuminates the darkness, God the Father and Jesus Christ will do that. Verse 24 says, the nations will walk in its light. So what does that mean? The nations are going to walk in the light that shines forth from Jerusalem. It will, again, be the headquarters for this world, the headquarters of the universe. It is going to, uh, it's going to give off light, and it says, the nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. So today we have... Heads of state, presidents, prime ministers, uh, sheiks, people have these different titles, and they visit different countries. Uh, Here in the USA, in Washington, D.C., we host dinners for heads of state. That normally happens uh, several times during a president's administration. What's going to happen on the new earth? During the government of Jesus Christ, And we're told in Isaiah chapter 9, and of the increase of his government and his peace, there shall be no end. So the government of Jesus Christ is going to continue on the new earth. And what does it involve? Kings of the world, where do they go? They come to where he is. (laughs) So the kings of the world won't be going to uh, uh, visit Jesus in Washington, D.C., or in London, or in... Uh, Geneva, they'll be going to visit, they'll be going to visit in Jerusalem. And it says, uh, its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then continuing the first five verses of chapter 22, Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. Now, what's the main street? That's the main street in Jerusalem. Uh, If you're in New York City, I think the main street is Fifth Avenue. Uh, Others might disagree. Uh, If you're in Washington, D.C., I think the main street is 16th Street. That's my perception. Maybe you have another thought. Um, If you're in, uh, you know, most cities have a main street. Uh, I shared on another broadcast, years ago I lived in a small town, and the main street was called Main Street. <laughs> Maybe you live in a small town, and the main street's called Main Street. 
I don't know what the name of the Main Street is going to be in the New Jerusalem. It doesn't tell us that here. Maybe it's going to be called Main Street. But we are told that there will be a river that has water that's super clear, so better than Evian water, better than, you know, Deer Park. This is the best water. It's the water of life. It's clear as crystal, and it flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So we know that the throne of God is going to be in this city, and from the throne, this water is flowing. And it flows down the center of the main street. Then it says, on each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit. So you might wonder, are we going to eat when we live on the new earth? It sounds like we're going to, because it says right here, on each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit. Then it says, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. Now, we already heard that the kings of the nations are going to come to Jerusalem. They're going to enter it, no doubt, to uh, visit Jesus because he's the king of all kings and lord of all lords. His government's going to continue on the new earth. But now we just heard that this tree of life has leaves. Uh, we're not told what's going to happen with the fruit here in this prophecy, but we are told that the leaves from the tree of life are used for medicine to heal the nations. So what are the nations? All of the nations that survived the Battle of Armageddon, all of the nations that persist beyond the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ. My perception is that that's going to be most of the nations. When we read the books of the minor prophets, there are some nations which are going to be destroyed at the time of the second coming. Uh, there, those, the, the enemy nations that have sent armies with uh, the Antichrist to take out Jerusalem at the Battle of Armageddon, we're told Jesus is sending plagues back to those nations. And in Isaiah and Ezekiel, this discussion, in some of the books of uh, the Minor Prophets, there's certain nations that are going to be taken out completely, but there are literally hundreds of nations, and it appears that most nations will continue. Now, as you know, there are issues, and these nations will need to be healed. Now, we're not told exactly what that means. I'm guessing... Uh, let me not guess. Let's just say uh, what it says here. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. That means that the nations are going to be healed. God has medicine to make sure that that happens. Hallelujah. Then it says on verse, in verse 3, no longer will there be a curse upon anything. Now think about that. There's a curse upon the earth. There's a curse upon uh, the bodies of those of us who are here on the earth. There's a curse upon every animal, upon uh, the fish of the sea. How do we know? You might say, uh, no, there isn't. If there was no curse, you wouldn't have any gray hair. If there was no curse, your vision would be perfect. If there was no curse, you would never, ever die. If there was no curse, your dog would still be alive. If there was no curse, there would be no water that was polluted. If there was no curse, no tree would ever die. The curse is the cause 
of the death of what? Everything on this present earth. That's why we need a Savior, so we can have eternal life. Now, some people are rejecting the opportunity to have eternal life, and they're going to the lake of fire. Don't let that be you, friend and truth seeker. Not you, friend and truth seeker. Hallelujah. Now, it says, no longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face. And his name will be written on their foreheads. Have you ever wanted to see the face of God? I do. I do. I'm guessing you want to, too. And when's it going to happen? When God relocates his home from present heaven to the new earth, then what's going to happen? It says in verse 4, chapter 22, and they will see his face. Whose face? God the Father. Let's hear it again. And they will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever on them. Who's them? All who are team Jesus. All who are team Jesus. Now, this is the new earth prophecy. That's the pinnacle prophecy that's the final documentaries in a series, 12. 12 documentaries, the last three, are all about what happens after Jesus Christ fights and wins the Battle of Armageddon. Documentary number 10, the Millennial Reign documentary. Documentary number 11, the Dead Judge documentary. Documentary number 12, the New Earth documentary. That's the one we heard today. Now, part six of the book of Revelation is its conclusion. How do we make sense of all this? What's the take-home point? What's the take-home point? In part six, we have the words of the angel. John tells us what the angel said after the angel showed him all these documentaries. And we also have Jesus Christ talking. We have Jesus Christ narrating the conclusion of the book of Revelation, and John narrating the conclusion in the book of Revelation. Both of them are talking in the conclusion. Now, Jesus says in verse 7, Look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. And then Jesus says again, in verse 12, look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Then in verse 16, Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches now what's the message the message jesus christ is coming soon he's coming back as the lion of the tribe of judah there will be a great tribulation that's 42 months the antichrist will rise and ultimately he will be destroyed the wrath of satan which is the great tribulation, will be followed by the wrath of God. The wrath of Satan is per 
persecution and torment for all who are team Jesus. The great tribulation is persecution and torment for those who are team Jesus. The wrath of God is persecution and torment for those who are team Satan. What's the wrath of God? It's the seven final plagues culminating with the battle of Armageddon. Persecution and torment for those who are team Satan. It's time to make sure that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's the only way to be victorious. It's the only way to be victorious. Now, you heard that God's plan is to put his mark on your forehead. Very soon, Israel will get the green light to rebuild its third temple. And shortly thereafter, the mark of the beast will emerge as a requirement for those who want to buy and sell in the one world economy. Now, there will be alternative economies, but those who want to buy and sell in the financial system of the new world order will be required to take the mark of the beast. It's a counterfeit. You do not want to transition to the beast DNA. Only those, only those who are in Christ will be permitted to enter the new earth. The beast DNA is under the curse. The mark of the beast, whatever it is, we know it will be administered on the forehead and on the right hand. Folks will have a choice about where they want to take the mark of the beast. But anyone who takes the mark of the beast will transition to the lake of fire, will surely experience the second death. That's in Revelation chapter 14. In the earth reaped prophecy. That's in Revelation chapter 14. The mark of the beast is coming. The great tribulation will start very soon. Now, I don't have a date. Coming very soon. As soon as Israel gets that green light to rebuild its temple, you know that very shortly thereafter... Very shortly thereafter, the great tribulation uh, will commence. And during that period, 42 months, there will be the opportunity to take the mark of the beast. But you heard today, every person who is victorious, who refuses the mark of the beast, who makes Jesus Christ his or her Lord or Savior, will ultimately transition not only to an incorruptible body, a peak performance body, a glorified body, a body where there's no psychological pain, there's no physiological pain, a body that will never, ever die, a body that's 100% free of DNA errors, every person who is victorious will not only transition to an incorruptible body, but will also transition to the new earth after the end of the world. So 
if you take the mark of the beast, anyone who takes the mark of the beast is disqualified from taking the mark of God. Anyone who takes the mark of the beast will have his or her place in the lake of fire and will not be permitted to transition to the new earth. So you do want a mark on your forehead, but you want the right one. You want the mark on your forehead referred to in Revelation chapter 3. You want that mark, the mark referred to in Revelation chapter 22. We just heard it in the New Earth Prophecy. What's that mark? Revelation 22 verse 4 says, And they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. And in Revelation chapter 3, in Revelation chapter 3 we're told, chapter 12, uh, Sorry, Revelation chapter 3, verse 12. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God. You know what city that is, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my new name now we already know where he's writing this it's on the forehead so friend and truth seeker i hope that this has been a wonderful time for you uh it's exciting to think about the new earth it is coming oh so we have a question so when is the earth burned up while the saints are raptured into heaven then we return to the new earth Thank you for texting in this question. Uh, When is the earth burned up? Let's go to, so in, in Revelation, we don't have discussion of when the earth is burned up. We just have the report in the dead judged prophecy That's documentary number 11 about uh, about the fourth and fifth enemies of God being destroyed. But if we go to 1 Peter, I believe it's in chapter 4. So let me... Let me see if I can answer this question. I don't see in the book of Revelation when exactly it says the earth is burned up. My perception is that this happens after all five of God's enemies are destroyed. In other words, after the Battle of Armageddon, we have the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ. At that time, the earth is still under the curse. There will still be mortals here on this earth. Satan will be in a bottomless pit, but then he's released at the end of the thousand years. He recruits millions of people to his armies. Uh, And so we know that the earth is still under the curse during the millennial reign. So we still have this same present earth uh, all through the millennial reign. After the millennial reign, we go to the great white throne judgment. That's when... 
anyone who's not in Christ is going to appear before God, and all who have died, they're resurrected, they participate in what's referred to as another resurrection, they're judged, they're thrown into the lake of fire, and then death is thrown into the lake of fire. My perception, my perception is that the earth goes through a holy fire after that. So in other words, after all five of God's enemies are destroyed, there's nothing evil left on the earth. And then we're told uh, there's nothing uh, there's nothing evil left on the earth, but the earth itself is still under the curse. And so when we go to documentary number 12, it says we have new heavens and a new earth, and the old earth has disappeared and the old heaven has disappeared. And so my perception is that they disappear after the great white throne judgment. And so that's um, after all five of God's enemies are destroyed. So that's my perception of when that happens. We don't have a direct report of that in the book of Revelation. So um, I think that the earth is certainly is still under the curse during the millennial reign. Uh, So even after we transition to our glorified bodies, We're in our incorruptible body, but we don't yet have our incorruptible earth. We don't get that um, until after every evil thing has been destroyed. Because think about this. If death still existed, uh, then the earth would be corrupted. So every evil thing, my perception is, has to be in the lake of fire. It has to be destroyed and only after every evil thing has been destroyed, then the final thing, the earth goes through the holy fire. We're told in Peter that it's been, uh, that the elements themselves will be destroyed and the earth is uh, going to go through the holy fire. Okay, so I think I answered that question after the thousand year reign. Uh, Thank you for that excellent question. I hope I was helpful with that. Let me see if I can find the scripture where it says, uh, so there's a scripture, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10 says, but the day, uh, I'm looking for the exact, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 7, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Okay, I think we have the answer here. It says, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So the ungodly are not destroyed into the great white throne judgment. That's Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. So it's uh, I just see this here. 
Second Peter chapter three verse seven says it's on that same day. So after the great white throne judgment, according to uh, what we see here, Second Peter chapter three verse seven, that's when the heavens and the earth will be destroyed by fire. The present, present heaven and present earth. Thank you for that awesome question. Thank you, friends and truth seekers, for being with me and with us. I look forward to more discussion on Thursday and next Sunday. Until next time, be blessed. God is with you. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Jumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.